Alrighty. So I've been doing this series called um, Sit, Walk, Stand, and the first part of it was where we talk about sitting with the Lord, that everything that we do comes out of a place of rest, of being seated with Christ. You can't do anything. You can't walk before you sit. You can't stand before you sit. You got to sit first. That's where you get full of the Spirit. That's where you find your identity is seated at the right hand of God in Christ. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, you're where I go. I'm preparing a, room, a place for you to go with me. And so everything that Jesus has, we've been made co-heirs. So we have the inheritance that Jesus has. And so when it says that when the Father tells Jesus in Psalm 2, I'm going to make the nations as your inheritance, and then one of you gets a heart for Mozambique, and you go to Mozambique, guess what? You're co-laboring with Jesus in acquiring that inheritance. And, and part of what you're doing is Mozambique is already blood-bought ground. So we're not trying to snatch it away from the devil. He's just squatting on territory that's already been bought. I've told, I use this analogy because it's the best one I've, I can think of, but when I used to lifeguard at Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, people would buy the, the two chairs and the umbrella sets that you see on the beach. And I, part of my job was renting those out. And you would have squatters. Now, back in this day, we had paper, you know, you just had like this paper system to keep track of things. And, you know, you see somebody on set 42, you're like, that person doesn't look familiar. And you kind of check the name, like 42 is open. Nobody's supposed to be in that set. So I go down there, hey, excuse me, or uh, have you seen us up here? Have, have you? And oh, I thought these came with the hotel. It's like, no, you got to pay for these. They're extra um, $20 a day. I can sign you up if you want to. And, you know, whether they pay it or not, doesn't matter. But me and my, my partner, we would say, we got a squatter on 42. They're, they're sitting on something they didn't pay for. And the devil's a squatter. He tries to sit on and stand on things that he didn't pay for. Jesus paid for them. And so Jesus paid for us to be able to be at the right hand of the Father. So sitting describes our position with Christ in the heavenlies. Walking is the practical outworking of that heavenly position here on earth. Different arenas we walk in, one is family, which would include marriage, raising children, our relatives, how we relate to other people in the body of Christ and how we relate to the world in the marketplace, in our places of work and leisure. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 17, all the way from through chapter 5 through verse 21, so 417 through 521, it goes down this laundry list of conduct, <laughs> of what it looks like to walk with the Lord. And a lot of it's like, don't do this. So he's talking to Ephesians who were... Gentiles, they have no Jewish history background. They don't, they don't have like 
the history of the moral code of the Torah that was taught in that. So they really don't, they've just lived pagan lifestyles for their whole history. And so in Ephesus, you know, uh, prostitute cult worship was, was uh, rampant. You know, part of their worship was you go to the temple and there's a temple prostitute and part of worshiping that God was to sleep with the prostitute. Pretty convenient for the lust of the flesh, you know. And so Paul's having to train them out of this because they, sometimes they, would, they, they were new converts, but they would still um, blend in their old ways. The same way with the Corinthians, pretty much same background. So he's having the teachers like, listen, you can't, if you're one, you, he who joins himself with a prostitute becomes one with her. He's like, you're, it's not just like this physical act. Your spirit's joining together. And your spirit's only meant to be with your wife and with the Lord or your spouse. Now, also, we might have some time at the end of this for some questions. And I'll try to, Jessica or I might try to answer them as, as best as we can. I don't promise to have all the answers. But if, you, if a question pops up while I'm, while I'm speaking, save it. We might have some time at the end, okay? And then if it's a question I need to answer after church, I reserve the right to answer after church, okay? So it says here, be imitators of God. Now, this is kind of a big standard, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, you can't, hey, be like God. How do you do that? Be full of the Spirit, all right? And then you can walk in these, these different ways. And so Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for f- out of it flow the, spring, the wellsprings of life. Now, I went through chapter 4 and 5, and I, I listed all the things that Paul talks about to, that pertains to conduct. And so I'm going to read down this list. And then they boil down into these, these three categories here. But he says, starting in verse um, 19, says, Don't walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles, when you read Gentiles, it's code for the world. Don't have lewd sexual behavior, sexual obsession, dishonesty and lying. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let anger or emotions control you. Get the th- those things in the light. Don't give the devil an opportunity to manipulate you. No corrupting talk, no gossip, no slander. Don't make assumptions. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't limit his scope or influence in your life. That's what that word, you can kind of translate it. Don't limit the Holy Spirit in your life. So how do you grieve the Holy Spirit is when you're like, hey, Holy Spirit, I'm going to listen to you in church. But when I'm at work and I'm going about my day, I'm not going to listen to you. That's limiting his scope and influence in your life. When he becomes a Sunday God. And he's not a Sunday God. He's Lord of your life. All right. So no bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, insults. Be kind, affectionate, tenderhearted, forgiving. Walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. No sexual immorality. No covetousness. No greed. 
No one should be able to accuse us of sexual immorality, covetousness, or greed. It says that. No insults, crude joking. Replace your, crude, your insults with thanksgiving. Walk wisely. Redeem the time. Make good use of your time. Understand the will of the Lord. Don't get drunk. Speak words of scripture to each other. Sing psalms, praises, spontaneous songs. Give thanks for every person and everything God brings into your life. Now, I went through this list, and I was like, all right, that's a lot, Lord. And you can kind of boil it down into these three categories, sexual morality or immorality, your speech and your will or attitude. Okay, all of those things I just listed can be followed under one of those three things. And so this morning, what I want us to, to kind of hone in on, because that's three sermons. And I've been getting wise counsel about not trying to get one sermon into one Sunday morning instead of five sermons, because I like, I'm such a preacher, I get five sermons in, in one Sunday. But sometimes it means we're like hour and a half or so. So Ephesians 4.17 says, Now this I say and testify on the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And like I said, this is the, the way of saying walking in the world. But sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. All right? So that's very strong words. So what is sexual immorality? So the Bible in the Old Testament and New Testament describes sexual immorality as fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. This includes oral sex, anal sex, and other deviances. Adultery, which is at the core of giving away what belongs to your spouse. This can be physical and spiritual. Pornography, and there's other things that aren't included here, but these are the main things people will struggle with. And so, fornication, why does, why does God care about sex outside of marriage? And then why did he give us hormones that make us attracted to the opposite sex or make us desire that? Why did he create us this way? Well, first he, he saw that it was good for man and woman to be together. He said, it's not good for man to be alone, so he created woman. And God is all about, so God is spirit. We're created in his image. And so this is, what you're looking at right now is ultimately a shell. <laughs> this is not truly Travis in the sense of, I have a spirit man that's much more real than this. It's going to last eternity. This body will go away. It will decay. It's decaying as we speak. Your body's decaying as we speak. I'm, this isn't trying to get you down in the dumps or anything like that, but, but it's just simply the truth. I've got more gray hair right here. I've got more freckles on my skin. They're popping up. And so I'm, I'm getting older. I can't jump as high as I used to, sadly. And so 
My body is, is, is getting older. It's decaying. But my spirit man is actually getting bigger. My spirit man is actually growing. It's becoming formed into the image of Christ. And so um, sometimes, ah, I want to get on it. That's a rabbit trail. I'm going to stop myself. And so the reason why God cares about this is that when you have sex with somebody, you, be, you become physically one with a person. It's not just a physical union, but your spirits are, are doing this. They're joining together. They're becoming enmeshed. How many of you seen a couple that are having sex and they're horrible for each other, but they can't break up? I've seen it. I was one of those people in college. And the reason is, is because you, you're, when your spirit becomes one with that person, God created it for you, for you to want to bless that person, to, to be with that person, because you're actually one. You have become one with that person. Now, what happens when you've had multiple, multiple partners? Your spirit gets fragmented. It's easier to get confused about who you are. You're broken up. It cr creates brokenness. All right? Now, I'm speaking of this from experience before giving my life to Jesus. I was in a relationship with a girl who was just bad news. And I was probably, I mean, as a parent looking at me, I was like, you bad news too, buddy. And so... But it was an unhealthy relationship, but because we were having sex, the breakup was horrible. Emotions were manipulated. And it was this long, drawn-out, painful thing. I went into three months of depression. And it was all because we didn't wait to have sex and I didn't wait until I was married. Whenever I met Jessica... I repented to her for adultery because I, I said I gave away what belonged to you. Now, when I walked down the aisle when I was married, I felt like a washed clean. I felt like a virgin because that's just what the blood of Jesus does. He makes all things new. Because whenever we, we dated and we were courting, we, we, were, we kept ourselves pure by the grace of God. And I knew that was a miracle because all my other relationships I couldn't, I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't resist. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to, um, to sex and, and the lust. And what happens is when you open that door, so sin opens the door, and then the devil jumps on you while you're down. So if I feed, if I'm looking at porn and I continue to feed my eyes with that, feed my spirit with that, this opening a door. Sin opens a door for the devil. He can't just like uh, manipulate you without an open door. It says of Jesus and John, 1 John, it says he, he, there was no hook in him for the devil to manipulate. So you look around like, if you imagine this hook, you give me your arm. If this was a hook, when you got that hook, he can just drag you around wherever he wants you to go. But for Jesus, he didn't have that hook. So the devil couldn't manipulate him. He tried to lie to him, tried to tempt him, but Jesus wasn't having any of it. 
So when you're looking at, at porn, it's not only the sin, but then spirits of lust can get in there and, and make you make it much worse. I've been around people who are not that attractive, by my opinion, but they can sleep, they can almost get anybody in bed that they want to. Why is that? Because they have like an adulterous spirit on them because they've, they've gotten into it and they, that's the thing that they desire and they covet. covet. And so you can have a spirit aiding people. That's why you just gotta, you gotta know this is not, this is just the beginning. Like there's this world out here in the spirit that you have to be aware of. And I've seen where people get in the atmosphere, and if you're, if you're not aware that the, you, you go into, like I went into Burning Man. How, how many of y'all know what Burning Man is? The biggest New Age festival in the world. There's orgies. There's people walking around butt naked. There's uh, bikini bottoms and stickers on places. So, so how can you walk in there and not be tempted by any of that stuff? Well, first of all, God has had to remove a hook in you. We went there for ministry, by the way. I didn't say that. We went there to minister to people, <laughs> share the gospel, share the love of Jesus, because a lot of those people aren't coming in the church, right? But the only way you can come in there is know that it's like, hey, there's like all kinds of stuff in the spirit that's out here. And there's all kinds of motivations. And so, but God, is, first of all, has to set you free personally before you could ever go into that. But if you go, it's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, when dealing with sexual immorality, he says, flee from it. Run from it. Don't play around with it, don't flirt with it, don't hang around it. And so if, I, if I'm not, if I don't really want to try to meet my wife and a, uh, you know, if I'm looking for a wife and I want her to be a person that upholds high morals and standards and loves Jesus with all of her heart, now I'm probably not going to go to toppers to find her. And I'm just making a really exaggerated point to say flee from sexual immorality one of the mistakes I made with my girlfriends is I would even tell them I had enough gospel in me where I with my girlfriends in college I said listen I don't want to have sex and they'd be like oh yeah that's great and then we'd watch a movie in my apartment in my bed under the covers that's not fleeing from sexual immorality that's putting myself in a position that Billy Graham couldn't resist. And so, anything, and then I, <laughs> I had this, this question in my heart in college where I asked Tom Tanner, who used to be over at Wesley Foundation before Bob Beckwith. I said, Tom, or actually it was, Tom was leading this retreat, and then Clay Kirkland, some of y'all might know Clay, was my small group leader. I asked Clay, I said, hey, man, I just want to know how much we can get away with. 
and like with our girlfriends. And all the heads in the group turned to Clay like this. <laughs> because I asked the question everybody was thinking. And I was just like, just, hey, listen. And Clay paused. I mean, I don't know if he, I took, my question took him by surprise, but he, the Lord gave him a great answer. He said, I don't know if it's as much as about how much we can get away with, but how close we can get to God. I was like, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> and it convicted me. And, and so I knew that there's things that are reserved for marriage that's not reserved for, for dating relationships. And it's because God's looking out for you. It's not because he's like, I just want to just kind of make things hard on you. <laughs> That's not God's heart. He's like, listen, I don't give my six-year-old child keys to a car. There is an age and there's a time and there's a maturity for everybody to walk in. It's just like I told, you don't give, um, you don't let a six-year-old on Facebook. They don't, they're not going to know what to do with it. They're not mature enough. And so until you get to that point where you're ready to marry somebody, you're ready to commit, and you're ready to be one in spirit with somebody, that's when we have sex. God created sex. He loves it. He thinks it's amazing. He thinks it was a great idea within the context of marriage. Adultery is simply, all of these things are simply fruit of a heart that's looking for love. Adultery happens long before the act is ever committed. A woman, uh, you know, a married man, another woman, just maybe she looks at him and is just like, you're amazing. And it hits this place in his heart that's starved for attention Maybe he's not getting it from his wife, but if you're a Christian, your wife isn't there to make you happy anyways. She can't make you happy. Your spouse, that's another tidbit. Your spouse can't make you happy. Just letting you know. If you look to them like, Jessica, you didn't make my eggs right. And so, what, why did you talk to me like that? <laughs> I'm going to be like this because she ain't perfect and I'm not perfect. But if Jesus is where I get, I'm getting my worth from, if Jesus is where I'm getting my joy from, then I can be unoffendable. Jesus was assaulted on every side and yet was unoffended. He had his best friends betray him. He had Pharisees set him up for murder. He had his own brothers. Listen, I don't know. I know what mom and dad said. I just don't know if you're the Messiah. Everybody doubted him. Except for a handful of people. And Jesus was unoffended. Even on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they, they're doing. Jesus understood. He's like, they can't see right now. They can't see. 
And so adultery is, it's a manifestation of, you can't see what's important right now. You can't see what this is going to do. And it says in Proverbs, it says the man that commits adultery, it's like building a fire in your lap. Imagine just putting some hot coals into your lap. I tell you, I've had, you know, I've told some guys before, I said, do you want to look your children in the eyes and tell them what, what you did? Now, some guys don't do that. But I'm like, it's are you going to, if you decide to do this, are you going to be able to tell your children? And I don't say this when I, with any sort of judgment. I'm like, you've you got to surrender your heart to Jesus. Like he's the only one that can keep you out of any kind of mess. <laughs> but the adultery of the hearts happens long before where your heart starts yearning for somebody else and the physical stuff is just a manifestation of where your heart's already gone. Pornography. There's a, a few combinations here that's going on. I think pornography, some of what leads men and, and women into pornography is a lack of joy. I feel like another thing for men that pornography hits the button on is it makes them feel powerful. It, make, it makes them feel desired because most of those most of the porn material is setting the man up in a dominant position. And men just, like anybody else, they want to feel desired. They want to feel powerful. But it's coming from the wrong place. God has done that. When he, his son died on the cross, Jesus, he said, I desire you so much. I'm going to send my son to die for you. And then he says, I want you to be powerful, so I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're going to be able to do the things that Jesus did. So, Jesus, so God meets those needs. And then you just have the lust of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 6 says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. First John chapter 2 says, For all the world can offer us the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importances. None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires in the process of passing away. But those who love to do the will of God 
live forever. So in another translation, it identifies these three things as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So sexual immorality is based upon the flesh, and, and the flesh is fading away, and the inner man is not. But for the non-believer, the flesh is decaying, and the inner man is dead. For the believer, the flesh is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed. Proverbs chapter 5, it talks about the adulteress. There's like two or three chapters committed in Proverbs to staying away from the adulteress. So it's pretty important. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel. Catch it says, do not go near the door of her house. This is basically saying the same thing that Paul said of flee from sexual immorality. Proverbs 6, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Now, part, part of the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is because, it's this, first of all, it's destructive. Sexual immorality is destructive. Fornication, adultery, pornography, other deviances. And they're, they're all can be legitimate struggles that you're tempted with. But I look at these things as like, this is just sin. It's just sin. We don't say that the person who's tempted to lying, the person who's tempted to stealing, hey, it's okay, just go ahead and do that. I know you're, it's like a big temptation and you're struggling with it, but go ahead and do that. We don't say that. But the reason why Babylon, which is the world system in the Bible, anytime you read about Babylon, it's, it's the world system. The hallmark of Babylon is sexual immorality. So why do you think this, above lying and stealing and murder and all this stuff, why, why do you think that this is the sin that highlights the world? It's because so much of your identity is wrapped up in it, and it says when you, when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. So it's like you, you start destroying yourself. And so there's nothing that can destroy you quicker than sexual immorality. The devil has an agenda for you. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not everywhere at once. So he's got to have a strategy. That's why he tries to take fathers out. That's why he uses sexual immorality, because he's trying to destroy as quickly as possible. He hits the head. That's his strategy, and that's a good strategy. And so the other reason is how, how is the world supposed to know that we're marked by God? I had a, I had a client where I was doing premarital counseling. This was years ago. And uh, I was just telling him, I was like, yeah, we got premarital counseling tonight. And, 
He said, are any of these people, he, he's not a believer, he said, are any of these people born again virgins? And he kind of like laughed and I said, I said, I don't know about born again. I said, they, a lot of them are virgins. He went, really? I was like, yeah. And he, could, he had a really hard time believing it. And I said, I said, listen, you can't do it apart from like the grace of God. You have to have your surrendered heart to Jesus to overcome these things. He said, so like no oral sex. I was like, no. He's like, no masturbation. This couple at the time, I was like, not that I'm aware of. I don't think so. Because this couple loved Jesus a lot. And he was like, what? He's like, wow, okay. You know, he's like, give credit where credit's due. But I told him, I said, listen, I said, you can't do this. Nobody can do this. It's the reason it seems impossible is because it is, apart from Jesus. But there was a line that was drawn for my client simply because this couple and many others decided to follow the Lord. They have no idea about my conversation with my client. But they just set themselves apart as the people of God. What did God say? He says, you will be my people and I will be your God. So that's how we distinguish ourselves.